No Jumper, coolest podcast in the motherfucking world. And today yeah. we are in here with the one and only. Yes, sir. The legendary Smooth B, man. Smooth Adam Twenty Two of Nice and Smooth, and I just yeah. got done uh, introducing you to like a video part of there's a BMX rider named Joe Tissio who died yeah. back in two thousand one, and his memorial section was actually edited to sometimes around slow, sometimes yeah. around quick, yeah. and that was kind of like my introdu- introduction. And we were just having the conversation about how like a song like that could, you know, take on a completely different context when you view it under the the guise of being like a memorial type song. Yeah. That's a fact, man. You know, it's a beautiful thing. And um, please, you know, Adam told me you're going to send it to me. I'm going to post that. Oh, no you know doubt. what I'm saying? Joe Tissio, man. Rest Blessings, man. Rest in peace. You know what I'm saying? It's like fallen soldiers. And I mean, yeah, this life, man, this shit is interesting. You know what I'm saying? Like, to say the least. You know what I mean? Like, but I was, I was about to tell Adam about uh, how I would experience things where one time I, all I'm trying to do, I'm in the Bronx. I'm at my mother-in-law's house. I'm checking on family. I'm seeing my nieces and nephews. And I just say, you know, fuck it. I'm going to go to the store and get me a turkey and cheese sandwich from the corner bodega because mm-hmm. they make the best turkey and cheese joints. I'm back in. The, I'm back on the block. <laughs> I go up in there. I get the sandwich and everything. I come outside. As soon as I come outside, this young guy walks up to me. He goes, oh, shit, Smooth B. I'm like, hey, what's up, man? He's like... Yo, man, you don't understand what your music means to me, man. My, my mom used to play your music every day. And I was like, what? He said, man, and your song, Cake and Eat It Too, was her favorite song. And we played it at her funeral. And I was like, whoa. I said, for real, man? And I shook his hand. He goes in his wallet, and he pulls out a picture of his mom. He said, my moms would not even believe right now that I'm meeting you, because she always wanted to meet you. But... I feel like she's present. I was like, that's a blessing. Show me a picture of his mom. He said, hey, I want you to take it. I couldn't take it. That was too heavy. I was like, I can't take a picture of your mom, dude. Right. Like, he was like, no, take it. Take it. It's a, it means something to me. It's a sign. I just hugged him, and I was like, listen, man, I, I can't do that. That's sacred. You keep that. But, yeah, man, it's amazing how music can touch people. You have really no idea. You know, as artists, you put in so much work sometimes, and Sometimes you can wonder if it was in vain, depending upon where you think it went or who it touched. And a few years ago, man, remember about 15 years ago, because I'm, I'm very close. I know a lot of people, but I'm very close to Donnie Wahlberg. That's my dude. Right? Really? Okay. No, that's my brother. Wow. And one day we were talking, and Donnie knows all my music. He knows it all. So one of my albums that we did, which was the third album called Jewel of the Nile, I was kind of, I was dissatisfied with the fact of the promotion on it because when people still hear that song to I'm mean, that album to this day like we got songs with Slick Rick Everlast like it's some sick material on there but due to you know the game was changing and all this other stuff whatever so many different dynamics because there's a lot of dynamics that goes into putting records out right long story short to me it got lost in the shuffle because I saw where it could be the potential of it. And long story short, so, but the weirdest thing is certain people, what Donnie said to me, the point is, he said, no, who got it was, whoever got it was supposed to get it. Mm. And I was like, hmm, I said, that's the way to look at it. You know, he was like, I know that whole fucking album. And then we just, <laughs> you know, so. Well, that yeah. is a weird thing to think about, though, because nowadays, especially, it's kind of like how your album is going to do has so much to do with, you know, streaming services. If the radio decides they're going to want to fuck with you, mm-hmm. if you have the kind of fan base that's going to really go out there and support you, etc. Yes, yes. So sometimes we forget about that idea of, oh, like the people are just going to gravitate to whatever they're going to gravitate 
gravitate to because right. now it's so transparent that there's so much marketing and so much going on that's basically meant to drive potential fans to whatever music the big labels have decided is going to be the sound of the times and it's like right. at that time you were you were very much the victim of that as well where yeah. like if the label didn't understand your project or didn't have a hit to to go off or whatever it, it must have been unbelievably frustrating because you you, you didn't get to have a, a real role in the promotion, right? It right. was basically no. left up to them. Right. And, and and you could have all the conversations in the world, mm. but then somebody else would say, I'm not pushing that button. Whoa! That shit used to be crazy. Mm. I mean, try to imagine once you come to a level where you feel like, oh shit, you know, I'm in this. I know this. This is me. Right. Once you receive your art, and then you go out and the world receives it. Then you start to get an inclination. You start to say, this is what they want to hear. Mm. They want to hear what I feel. What makes me feel good is what they want to hear. Mm. And then, you know, people always, these cliches, it's not business. I mean, it's not personal, it's business. No, business becomes personal. Shit, how I'm going to provide for my family, man. You understand? Know and I'm trying. I can speak for myself. Like I, At that time, I'm like, dude, I done came from the streets. I done seen some shit that a lot of people are lying about on records. Mm. You know, that's a fact, dude. Like, I'm really that. I'm, I come from that. And I'm not even talking about none of that shit. Right. I'm not glorifying it. I'm trying to make people happy and make people dance. You know what I'm saying? With a new sound that I know is going to inspire people to come after me. Mm. And then they going to win. If the right people push the right buttons, man, right. that shit was super frustrating. But was it super frustrating because you felt like there were all these gangster ass artists that they were taking and shoving out in front of you because they themselves didn't feel like some more positive or inspirational or intelligent music was necessarily going to be able to move the, the dial? Right. Wow. Yeah. And to see it and know that it's a falsehood, mm. because guess what? I always go back to this reference, man. You know... Back in the days when they just let people be themselves and just look, you can look at a person and say, this person is honest with what they're saying. It might not even be my lifestyle, but there's a certain honesty there. Mm. This motherfucker speaking his truth. That's why you will see certain people at certain times blow up and you'll be like, how this motherfucker blew up? Mm. He's not doing it. He's speaking his truth. <laughs> and somebody believed in it mm. and pushed the fucking button. That's it. And so Slick Rick didn't sound like Bismarcky mm -hmm. or Rakim or Public Enemy or KRS-One or Big Daddy Kane. None of them sound like nice and smooth, but we all were able to come out at a time that they quote unquote considered a golden era. Mm -hmm. But what made that era golden? Right. People being themselves, authenticity, and having the freedom to rock like that. Now the funny part is it got closed in, everything became just numbers. All right, yeah, yeah, yeah. People lie, numbers don't lie. I, I get it. But here's what I'm saying, though, dog. The thing that bugs me out, and back then people used to say to me, yo, Smooth, you just ahead of your time, man. <laughs> you ahead of your time. It used to bug me out. But I kept going, you know, it is what it is. But the thing was to be right on time. Like, like if somebody says you're ahead of your time, and then 10 years later, I'm talking about I went from the process of why are you singing and rapping? Everything we did was questioned. Mm. Why are you singing and rapping? And we really didn't care because especially you teamed up with Nice Smooth, we was like, we on our shit and we know where it come from and we know what we doing. So we stood on it. So people would say, 
Why are you singing and rapping? And it give me an opportunity to explain it. Nah, nigga. It started melodic. It started. I'm just a throwback to where how the original motherfuckers did it, B. You know? Come on. And then and, and you watch people. It's interesting to watch people when they're experiencing something new. <laughs> when they think that they know and they heard it, and then you come with some new shit. One thing don't lie, that neck bob. So I would sit in meetings and see motherfuckers bopping their head. <laughs> but because it was so new and so fresh and something that they weren't used to, I don't know how that's going to translate. Your fucking neck just translated it, player. <laughs> you was patting your feet for the last 15 fucking minutes. It's called body language. You didn't even know you jamming with me. Right. Push the fucking button, man. Stop playing, man. Right. That was my frustration. Yeah, I mean, that yeah. must be kind of maddening at that time, right? <laughs> yeah, it was crazy. And especially because you guys were getting love from so many other people in hip-hop that were big at that time to then yeah. see, and especially because you start to believe in yourself as a bit of a, a marketing guru yeah. it, just through promoting your own project, so then to be told that you don't know what the fuck you're doing by somebody <laughs> who, and, and from your perspective, okay, because there's a lot of conversation that's going on right now about how labels are set up and is there enough representation from black people, from people in the culture? Are, are there necessarily the pathways set up so that people can move from one position to another? Mm -hmm. At that time, did you feel like the labels were like completely out of touch with the culture? Because this is, I feel like the situation may have gotten better, but it still seems like there's a long way to go. Yeah, it was definitely a long way to go. And, and I'm glad to still be here to see where it went. Mm. You know what I'm saying? So it was all necessary. But back then, it was like, and it was crazy. They would, <laughs> man, this shit, the game was a crazy motherfucker, boy. Look, as, <laughs> at first, they really did leave it up to the, to the real ones, to the hip-hop uh, pioneers. Like, in the beginning, they had cool DJ Red Alert mm -hmm. on the radio occupying a space and time and a major platform to play real shit. Right. Then they had Chuck Chill Out. All of these guys were from the Bronx. They knew how it started. They knew how to blend. And then time went on and they left it to the DJ. They left it to the Play what you want to. So the DJs were breaking and making records. Right. And that's a thing that's, uh, I don't know, it's kind of like these days, people don't really have the desire to break records. And I'm trying to change that. You know, like, nah, man, feel what you feel, man. Come on, stop that bullshit. You know, because people choose to sometimes fall in line. Mm. But if it's dealing with the culture, nah, man. Because, see, especially now, everything is digital. A person can put a, put a record out right now. I can talk to you and just press a button and put my shit out. Mm -hmm. Every nice and smooth album you heard, just period, that we've ever released, every one was at least a year after we created it. Okay. So it was the machine. It was what we, you know, we had to wait. So it's do the album. Hurry up and wait. You know mm -hmm. what I'm saying? We need that album done. Okay. We charged. Give me a little bit of bread. Let me make this happen. Bam. Go up in the studio, bang it out, come back, listen to it. Well, da, 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 debate. Boom, boom. Come to an agreement. Bad. We ready? Yeah. When we coming out? Oh, we just got to figure this shit out. Because, you know, we get made a drop. LL. Then we got to drop public enemy. He's you know these guys are multi-platinum. Fine. When we coming out. Right. Soon. And we're going to leave with that single. We love that shit. Okay, bet. <laughs> a year later. Right. You know what I'm saying? So it, used to, it was a trip, but it was, it was a crazy learning experience. And things like that make me appreciate now.
Mm. That's what those are things that ignite me and 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 excite me. Right. Like, you know, I could really create some shit. And then I got beautiful artists around me. You know, they say count your blessings, not your problems. Right. You know what I'm saying? So I'm always reminded of that. I try to look what's going on around me. Mm. What do I have access to? You know, what was different? I ask myself several questions all the fucking time. I'm like my own uh, psychiatrist. You know what I'm saying? I keep asking myself, okay, where you at right now? How do you feel about this shit? You ready? All right. You know? And so that's what led to new releases, man. Uh-huh. You know? Yeah. Interesting. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, when you look at uh, how, how much attention do you necessarily put into the, the hip-hop game at this point in your life? And, and you know, it seems like people grow with rap music in very different ways over time there's a lot of people who might have their their like main run in the spotlight and then they just sort of become sick of it and disgruntled after seeing that there's some people who will keep listening to the same music they were listening to when they're 18 for the rest of their lives like how how has that gone with you over the past couple of decades Mm, yeah man i'm gonna tell you something i always have my go-tos i have i have my different music that that I just enjoyed hearing. Mm. So I also I often revisit the classics. You know what I'm saying? I find myself listening to everybody, man. Uh, Doug and Slick and and and, and uh, Rock him. Some of my favorites from him and Coogee Rap and you know. And then you know that along with because my background is crazy. I love music, so I've been around soul music. I listen to all the old classic soul, R&B, Motown. Oh, I, I'm always listening to some shit. And then. You know, one of my uncles, Uncle Linwood, he uh, he told me he's in his 80s. He's an OG. I call him Yoda. And Yoda told me one time, he said, Smoothie, he's a very theatrical man, brilliant. And he's like, my smoothie, always remember, the mind is like an umbrella. It works better when it's open. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, Unc, you got that. So I'll be, I try to keep open mind. So long story short, now I got a few kids. You know, my kids, they, they're of now. Right. They're in their 20s and shit, you know. And uh, they're dope artists, the whole nine yards. And, and they basically kind of like jump-started me again. Really? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, watching them and just like, because they were always around me. As little kids, even if me or my wife, we didn't have a babysitter, we, because my wife is an artist. So even as little kids, I would take them with me to the studio. They done been in the studio with M.O.P. Um, They've been in the studio from M.O.P. to Bobby Brown to Whitney Houston to New Kids on the Block, my wow. kids. So, but just because that's what it was. Come with me. Where we going, Dad? Don't worry about it. Come on, we're going to bring a sleeping bag. We're going over to Uncle Bobby house. You know what I'm saying? We recording. They just running around around all this shit. You right. know what I'm saying? And but it started to take a knack. And when I least expected it, because as as I grew, as they grew with me, they always just saw me in the dad position. Right. So it wasn't until they were like mid-teens that they really realized, because one time, actually, I brought them out here to California, and I ran in, in one trip, in two weeks, I ran into Snoop, I ran into Ice Cube, and I ran into this guy, uh, 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 ah. we, they used to call him Cockroach. Oh my God, Carl Payne. I ran into Carl Payne. So these are people that my kids know from television. You know right. what I'm saying? Obviously they know who Snoop is, you know, and they know and they know they know more of Ice Cube as a movie star. They know him from Barbershop. You right, know what I'm saying? Yeah. This day generation. And when they saw him like Snoop, and, and, and so after the conversations or whatever, my kids would go, Dad, I never knew you knew Ice Cube. I was like, yeah, I know all of them. Uh-huh. Then we ran into Snoop. Snoop 
and they were a little older, so they didn't even remember meeting him when they were young. He said, oh, man, y'all getting big. So he started talking. He said, man, I remember when y'all came down to John Letterman. Because one time he was in uh, John Letterman, the Letterman show in New York or whatever. Uh, did I say his name right? David, John, David, David Letterman or Jay Leno? No. I thought you could kind of mash them up. I mashed them shits up. My bad. David Letterman. Right, there you I go. Him okay, fuck right. it. Hey. Hey. You've been so, in the game for a long time. Long you met a lot time, of people. Man. It's Help all good. Me, man. Help me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we went down to the Letterman show. Uh-huh. And, you know, Snoop, he got a long trail of, of smoke when he come mm. through. So when we got to the um, the dressing room, we was in the hallway. It was just like lit up. I had the little ones with me. And he came out here, smoke. And we embraced. And he see my kids. And he's like, oh, shit, man. I, I don't want to be my I said, man, look, they done been in the studio with me. They they, they good. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So, but it, it bugged him out when he saw them again. And he started talking about, I mean, you brought them to the Letterman show. I said, yeah. Oh, shit like that. So they were like, dad, you know these guys. Yeah. Then after that, they started. I mean, they had already been writing, but it was quiet. Mm. And they would never let me know that they could rhyme, sing, or nothing. Oh, they really? never. And I had, I walked up on a rhyme cipher. After I came off doing a show on the road, I walked up on a rhyme cipher. And that's how I found out that my kids could rhyme. Because they were just, they were getting it in backstage. Man, they, was, they were in the house. And when I came in, I was dropping my bags off. So I was right in the living room and I'm putting, you know, taking my knapsack off. And my wife was like, so my oldest daughter, she plays the acoustic guitar. So she's sitting in there and she's just strumming. And my son and my other daughter are just flowing. And I was like, oh, shit. So I'm standing in the doorway and they giving it up. And I was like, oh shit. And then, and then my older daughter, I already see my oldest daughter, her name is Genesis. So I already knew she could sing and rap and all that. So, but them two, I had no fucking idea. Wow. So she started singing a hook, and then they both came back rhyming. And my youngest daughter, man, like she's a she's a cosmetologist to this day. She does, man, she does Jamie Foxx daughters shit. Uh, it's like she does all the next generation. Like okay. I knew Jamie Foxx from back in the days. She does her his daughter's makeup. Uh, uh uh, Russell Simmons' nieces and shit. She does their makeup, so it's, it's real trippy. Right. And so, long story short, I know her to be on her cosmetology shit. She started giving up bars. I mean, real ones. And it just brought tears to my eyes. I was just like, oh shit, I don't believe this. So when they looked up and saw me in the doorway, they stopped. And I was like, no, go ahead, keep going, please, right. please. And they were just quiet looking at me like, oh shit, dad caught us. I said, no, 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 man. Keep doing it. And so they started getting me back into the zone. Then I started listening to what they were listening to. They introduced me to trap. You know what I'm saying? Oh, this is trap, Dad. You know what I'm saying? This is what, you know, Tip down in Atlanta, he doing this, and this is considered trap. Uh-huh. And I'm like, oh, what? Okay. And so they, you know, and things like that. And so that's, you know, that's kind of like the balance, man, having another generation to expose you to what's but, going but on. But do you ever, like hear one of your kids rap about some shit that you know they ain't really ever did and that's weird for you as a dad even though you also kind of know that like the history of rap music is also largely the history of there's a there's been a lot of rappers who've been talking about a lot of shit they never did yeah it's got to be kind of weird though because Yo. you you hear your kids say something about a gun and you know right. they never been like that and right. you, you that, that's got to be a weird feeling right. as a dad right oh man let me tell you something it's a trip because you start to see that you see the power of music, right? And you see how because all the shit they're listening to is talking right. about this. So to them, that's what rapping that's, is. That's what it is. And see, so here was the deep part. I'm gonna tell you, oh man, that's a great uh, question. Here's the fucking funny part, Adam. These little motherfuckers. Okay, so they know what it is, and they know what they've been exposed to, and I always tell them, 
I tell them, I'll be like, listen, y'all, no, all the glitters ain't gold, you know what I'm saying? So I just, certain shit, I just throw it out there and I leave it, you know what I mean? And hope that they catch the best part. Mm -hmm. So my son, he's a young man. So as he was developing, he had this, and he's also an artist, he draws, right? So I, I guess he was going through his little gun phase, right? So, you know, it was a lot of action movies and motherfuckers shooting shit up. It was what it was. And so he would draw guns. So my wife found that as a, uh, you know, it could be a tell sign. <laughs> like, mm. what's wrong with Malachi? He's drawing a lot of guns. I say, he's just feeling it. You know, maybe he's watching his favorite action movies and shit. Right. And he was getting into his fascination with guns. Then I heard a couple of rhymes. Man, I'll blow your fucking face off. You know, I was like, whoa. You know what I'm saying? Because I gave him a pass. You know, I was, I was like, listen, you're artist. Mm. I'm an artist. I'm your dad. I'm going to do the best that I possibly can. I'm going to do my gig. But come to me as an artist. Mm. We're going to keep this shit 100. You want to rock with this? We're going to keep it raw. All that shit, if you rhyming and you cursing, you don't have to stop right to tell me. I want to blow his fucking face off. So he's like, all right, dad. I'll put the battery in this little motherfucker back. He come back and... I cut the motherfucker head off. I blew it face off. The bitch was sucking my... I was like, hey, 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 pop. What are you doing? You're 14. All of this dicking and sucking and shooting. Right. Pop. And he's like, but I wasn't that. Like, with a dope beat. Like, he's like, see my vision with a right. dope beat. Woo! I'm like, okay, listen, Okay. It's going to be tough to pick your role, pick your path here. Like, how, how are you going to talk to him about so I this? Said, I said, so this is what I told him. I said, all right, listen, listen, listen. I said, listen. Remember, you're 14, and you, you're doing a lot of dicking and shooting. Mm. Okay. Keep that one. I said, but I want you to listen to my songs. And I started playing stuff to him. And I play cool G rap. And, I, and so I started to tell him, I said, a lot of these OGs, those guys were real deal. Mm. But they gave you a morality tale. Mm. Hmm? I said, y'all are not getting the morality tale. You're just getting glorification right now. Right. And no one is teaching this new generation that there was a beginning before the last person that introduced them to the game. Right. And so that's the disconnect. Mm. I said, so what I want you to do, you got homework to do. I said, I'm not knocking nothing. Like I told you, you were artists. If that's what you felt, you feel like saying that crazy shit, say that crazy shit. But we're going to put that right there. Now I want to hear more. And so, boom, time went on, and he just started developing. And then when I introduced him, to, I said, now this guy's name is Melly Mel. He was in a group called the Furious Five. And I took him through the history. They was like, damn. And they started seeing how fascinating it was. Mm. Then what I did was I took like a, like let's say it was, a, I think Tip, uh, a few people sampled the message over the years, mm -hmm. but around that time, somebody had originally, somebody that was like of their era had sampled some old Furious Five shit. Okay. So it was something they was familiar with. I said, you know this song? And they was like, yeah. Bah, 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 bah. And I was like, yeah, the original song is called The Message. I said, let me show you where this shit come from. So I showed him, and thank God for YouTube, I, I go to the video and I showed him. I said, look. I said, you see this guy? This is Melly Mel. And he was like, he look familiar. I said, yeah, because I introduced you to him. He was like, oh, Big Mel. I was like, yeah, that's him. And so they looking at the video. I said, you see that background? They was like, yeah. I said, that shit looked like a scene out of Beirut, right? Mm -hmm. So yeah, I said, that's the South Bronx. That's where I grew up. This where this shit come from. And I start breaking it down to him. I said, man, motherfuckers, come on, man. It was loss of life. It was struggle. It was like insurmountable odds. 
Hip-hop wasn't even considered to be a fucking art form. Do you understand what the fuck is going on? Mm. My son was like, whoa. So I was like, yeah, now watch. Keep learning. Now I tell my daughter, come on, get your ass over here. You rhyme very well. Now listen to Shah Rock. Listen to the uh, funky four plus one more. Listen to this one. Listen to that one. And I just kept feeding them, feeding them, feeding them. Then I wait. Then when I started hearing their music again, I was like, oh, now I hear the evolution. Uh-huh. Now I hear the evolution. Now I hear more of their truth into what, because they realized that they had the freedom to do that. Right. And I told them, I said, it's going to be fire. I said, you know, you don't play for everybody, but. And then I would take them around certain people that they might admire, like, yo, listen to my son. They'd be like, yo, that's you. That shit fire. Well, listen to my daughter. I said, see? Now keep going. Then we got to the point where they shit started advancing. <laughs> and then when they listen back, I blew your fucking finger. They're like, ah, I don't think I want to put that out there. <laughs> I was like, all right, cool. Right. Mission accomplished. Because if, if you as a dad try to just cut them off right uh, away and say, no, nah, you can't do that because what? that's not who you are or whatever. I don't like you got to <sighs> encourage them to experiment in private, right? Yeah, yeah. you have to. Because mm. then when you cut them short, then you're just back, back in the dad box. Right. My dad don't fucking understand me. Mm. Everybody forgets that their dad was the same age as them at some time. Right. You got to be able to dip back and shit. forth between being the dad and being somebody who's yeah. actually encouraging the art, you know? There you go. That makes sense to me. Well, yeah, because I was watching a documentary about Nice and Smooth in the early days, and they were showing a bunch of footage of the Bronx back in the day when you guys started, and it's yeah. like, holy fuck. <laughs> it's hard to remember, or I mean, I wasn't around, but it's, right. it's crazy to look back on that time yeah. period. So that, that was the time period when the Bronx was burning, which you always hear about, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, there was a lot going on, and then later on, you know, you start to find out that I guess, I don't know, I don't want to use the wrong term, but... Maybe the mayor at that time was in on it, or the congressman, whatever. Mm. But there was a thing where the insurance scams, the insurance right? scams, yeah. burn this motherfucking building down, and you get whatever money or whatever. It was something that they was doing. Mm. So every time you turned around, another fucking building was fucked up. Right. Or, or, or the the you you chilling, you living in a building, and the next thing all the lights go out, and you're like, what the fuck is going on? You know, and it was all of those type of you know situations, man, and. Shit was crazy. Right. <laughs> it was definitely crazy. That's a wild backdrop for people who live in New York now. And like when you go to New York now, it's like it feels like you're in fucking Disneyland sometimes in certain areas that, yeah. that were the, the 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 hood or whatever ten Ooh, years ago. Is, yeah. 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 I mean you take it back twenty years ago and if you go to forty second street, oh God. Oh yeah. Whoa. Twenty five years ago you had to really, really be secure and have to have a team with you. Mm. Motherfuckers the, the boy, you could get robbed on forty second street like that. Mm. Do you do you appreciate the improvements over the years as a yeah. as a native New Yorker just because yeah. now you could go to Times Square with your family and you wouldn't yeah. have nothing to worry about? Yeah, yeah. You know, it's it's definitely it's definitely appreciated in that sense, you mm. know. Yeah, man. I like damn, especially when you get a chance to travel. Right. You got a chance to travel different places, you know. But then I come back, you want, I mean, come on, you, the reason we work hard to move to different places to have a better life experience. Mm -hmm. People live to try to improve their lifestyle. So it's like, damn, can't you, it becomes a thing where you're saying, now, I know motherfuckers got enough money to clean this shit up. You know what I'm saying? Like, you start to like, (laughs) man, come on, man, this shit is ridiculous now. Like, we really got to fuck with this like this? Right. Y'all can't, you know, and so to go... You know, you can go on 42nd Street and it's 3D movies and they got the different sections and, you know, little restaurants in the movie theaters now. You know, it's a good feeling. Okay, I got you. So so your very first introduction to the music business was through going on tour with Bobby Brown? Yeah. So how did that happen? How did this oh, actually man. unfold? So, so look. That's pretty right, Bobby le- Brown, legendary. Right? Yeah, man. That was some shit. Okay. 
So now, mind you, I had a, I had a million fucking jobs. I was a dude that just always wanted to do something and get some paper. Plus, it didn't, uh, you know, moms, you know, them, them households back in them days, my era, my mom be like, oh, every parent pre prepared their kids to be 18 years old and get the fuck out. <laughs> and when you, they'd be the countdown. 18, motherfucker. Make sure you got your shit together. Right. <laughs> you be like, oh, shit. In New York City now, that sounds pretty crazy because what yeah. the fuck are you going to do at 18 that's <laughs> going to make you enough money to have an apartment and have a, a life, you know? Right. That's hard to imagine now. Yo, dude. Parents in New York got to be a little bit more flexible now. Oh, right? yeah. They're way <laughs> flexible, man. Right. I, you know, I just laugh. You yeah. know, I look at my nieces and nephews and I just laugh. Like, <laughs> cool. Right. You know, good shit. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, I mean, I wouldn't throw mines out if the shit was like, but it was so crazy. It was crazy back then. But I don't know. It was a it was another kind of sense of um, I don't know maybe a lot sort of morality because you had a lot of programs back mm. then, and 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 it was like it was crazy, but then it was just it was still like loving. Right. Like each family had the um, I would you say the permission to protect your kids right. or check your kids if they see them fucking up in the street. Uh -huh. So it was that type of thing. So anyway. Next thing you know, countdown, when you turn 18, have your badge ready, little nigga. Soon as you graduate high school, get ready. Okay, fine. So I would always, you know, having a job always on my mind. All right, fine. Have millions of jobs. So now once I started really, really getting into the music after high school, I was convinced. I said, I could do this shit. I could do it. I started making my demos and all of that. I comes up with this fucking bright idea to become a messenger. Why a messenger? Because when we used to buy albums back in the days, we would flip the album over and read the back. And when you read the back of the albums, uh, it told you the address of the uh, record companies. Mm -hmm. So back then, I was I was fascinated with that shit. All my favorite artists, I don't talk about Prince, Michael Jackson, Rick James. I always read, so I knew the streets. Like, I was like, CBS is on 51st Street, you know? So in my mind, I said, if I make my demos and I become a messenger, I'll be delivering packages all throughout New York. Wow. And then if I find myself over on 51st Street, I could slide right up in CBS and maybe try to drop my demo off. You know, that, that was what my mind was. See, this is a real long-term hustle that the average kid out there cannot fucking comprehend, man. Can't even fucking comprehend no shit <laughs> That's like amazing, that. yeah. Man. So I was, that's where my mind was. But everybody around me, knowing and seeing the shit I used to do. Dude, at one time I was a fucking uh, 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 receptionist on Wall Street. Like, I had all types of crazy jobs. So at this point, I said, I'm going to be a messenger. I was like, this motherfucker that lost his mind. <laughs> Smooth is crazy. I didn't tell him the whole plan. Now I'm just going to get a job as a messenger. My mother was like, oh, like carrying bags? Like riding a bike and shit? Uh -huh. Oh, Smooth, you lost your fucking mind. I said, okay, cool. Right. I'm on my shit. So now being this messenger, this shit is really happening. Like I'm literally delivering packages and I'm seeing celebrities. So one day I saw the group Cameo oh, wow. on 59th Street. Like black men and the motherfuckers. I was like, they must have been coming from a video or something. I was like, oh shit. And I walk up to him, get this autograph, you know, get the autograph. That to me was a sign. I'm going in the right direction. Mind you, I got a fucking poster of Cameo on my wall. Right. So it was like at a point in time, all of the people that was on my wall, I fucking started running into. Uh -huh. Including New Edition. The whole shit, I had him on my wall. Curtis Blow. This shit is crazy. But it's real. So I'm doing my messenger gig. If you tell me I'm running into somebody, it's another inspiration, you're going in the right direction. You're going in the right direction. Okay, fine. So one of my boys, DJ Holiday, he turned around and he went on the road with UTFO. 
Long story short, the last time I saw Holiday, because we moved off the block, every building on the block was abandoned. My mom wanted it to be better. She just moves me up to the North Bronx. When we moved up to the North Bronx, I really started getting dope with my pen, and I would come back like every weekend, every other weekend, to my old neighborhood. Mm-hmm. So Holiday, long story short, he says to me, yo, D, um, I heard you rhyming now. I said, yeah, 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 my name is Smooth B. He's like, what? Spit something. So I, I start flowing. He calls up Mixmaster Ice. Yo, yo, Ice, come through. Mixmaster Ice comes. Now they got Roxanne, Roxanne, UTFO, hottest record, right, at that point. Mixmaster Ice pulls up in a BMW, jewelry on and shit, and he's our age. So I'm looking at him like, yo, this dude is driving a BMW with chains and shit, mm. and he's DJ, hot record. That's what I fucking want to do. <laughs> two weeks later, two weeks later, I'm in Midtown Manhattan. I go in this uh, uh, pizza shop. Everybody's famous Rays. That was a big franchise in New York. Right. So I'm coming up 7th Avenue. I go in the pizza shop. I'm eating some pizza. By the way, it's raining outside. I didn't even want to fucking go to work. Who wants to go to fucking work in the rain? Right. I got my poncho on and shit. So I was like, let me get some pizza, man. Let this rain die down. I go in there, I'm chilling. Then it gets to a slow drizzle. I'm just chilling. Then I look out the window and I see Mixmaster Ice. He's across the street, standing on the corner. So I was like, oh shit, I come out. So mind you, that night when I like when Mixmaster Ice came, I rhymed for him. Mm-hmm. And I went into about a hundred bars on his ass. And he was like, yo, dude, you were dope. And I was like, thanks, man. And uh I said, I'm getting ready to break out because I gotta go to work tomorrow. And he said, What kind of work you do? And I said, I'm a messenger. He said, I used to be a messenger. So when he said he used to be a messenger, I was like, oh shit. Oh it's shit. Possible. This, this shit is right. right. You feel what I'm saying? Two weeks later, bro, I shit you not, I can't make this shit up. Two weeks later, as a messenger, he's standing on the fucking corner. I come out the pictures, I'm like, yo, Max. He looked. I said, it's smooth. He said, yo, come here. I walk across the street. He said, yo, what's up? He said, I'm some chilling. And he said, what you doing? I said, yo, I'm a messenger. So I had to, he said, I used to be a messenger. I said, I know you told me. He was like, word? So what the fuck is up? What you doing? I said, I'm doing delivering fucking package. I said, what you doing out here? He said, I'm waiting for Bobby Brown. The name shoots past me because I know I know New Edition, but I didn't know them individually like that. So he goes, I'm waiting for Bobby Brown. I said, Bobby Brown. I, I, I. He said, you know, the one that left New Edition, you know what? I said, oh, word. Now, they had a fucking uh, rumor back then that he had skin cancer and shit. I said, that's the one with skin cancer? He was like, that shit ain't real. He ain't got no fucking skin cancer. Well, it's just some shit they put out there. Mm. I said, what? Damn, niggas lying about skin cancer? You know. <laughs> now, Bobby comes out the motherfucking hotel. Right. With his brother Tommy. He comes walking out. And he's like taller. Like in my mind I was like, can he go? I'm seeing I'm thinking I'm gonna see a little fucking kid. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I mean, come on, man. I'm hood. I'm, I'm surprised right now. I picture Bobby Brown being a smaller guy. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Right. This motherfucker was my height. He walked out, I was like, oh wow, okay. right. So he come out, he's like, What's up, man? So he sees Mix and he's shaking Mick's hand. And he says, Yo, Bobby, this dude's name is Smooth B. He's a rapper from the Bronx. This motherfucker's dope. So he said, What? So I said, what's up, man? I shake his hand. And he was like, so bring him to the studio now. And I was like, oh, shit. And so I, I was like, nah, actually, I'm on the clock. So what you doing? Because I, I had put my package on the side. So I'm a messenger. So he just, him and Tommy just was looking at me and shit. So he said, well, look, man, we stand right here in the Omni Hotel, man. I said, uh, come fuck with us later. So this is an early afternoon session. He was like, yo, come fuck with us later on tonight. I said, yeah, man. I said, I get off like 9, 10. He said, yeah, man, just call. I'm in the room. He tells me the information. Bam. I get home. 
And my mind is like, do it, nigga. Like, this is a sign. Now, mind you, when I went back to work, I tell a supervisor, which I had knew from high school, my supervisor was older than me. So, but in 10th grade, he was like a senior. But I had formed a little crew in high school, so they would see us rhyming and shit. And this dude, his name was Michael White, wherever you are, Mike, shout out to you. He remembered, I must have left a fucking imprint on him or something, because he ended up being my supervisor. I had ended up, when I got the messenger job, he put me on. And so he was my supervisor. And the point was, when I went back, I told him I met Bobby Brown today. I told him the scenario. I said he wanted me to come to the studio. He said, why the fuck you ain't go? I said, I'm on the clock. What the <laughs> fuck are you talking about, Playboy? Right. He said, yo, D, man, I believe in you. I want you to win. He said, you ever get a fucking opportunity, you go to the studio and you call me and say you go into the fucking studio and I will punch you in like you were here. Mm. I said, my man. So, boom. Long story short, that night... I go home, I get me some weed, I'm blowing, putting vibes in the minds, because in my mind, I'm like, I'm going to see the new edition niggas, they probably don't smoke no weed. You know what I'm saying? Bobby right. Brown was still new edition to me. <laughs> right. They probably not into that. I'm blowing, put some vibes in my eyes and shit. Man, let me call, make sure they there. I call, his brother Tommy picks the phone, then he gives him the phone. Go, smooth, smooth who? I said, dude, I met you earlier with Mixed Mass Ice. He said, oh yeah, from the Bronx. I said, yeah. He said, you coming through? I said, yeah. He said, uh, yo, could you do me a favor? I said, what? Could you bring some weed? I said, <laughs> I got you. <laughs> so that was a sign. Long story short, I get there. He had, and 40 ounces wasn't out yet. It was quartz, and he had all these quartz and a big-ass radio box. And, and that's when I knew he was really into hip-hop. And long story short, I got a chance to rhyme for him. I'm sitting there. LL came to visit him. While I'm sitting there, LL came there, Eric B., and uh, Red Alert. Right. And so one by one, I'm seeing these motherfuckers walk through the door. This is before Mixed Master Ice got there. So I'm just sitting, I'm sitting off to the side. And they start coming in, checking on Bob. And I'm like, oh shit, the real deal is in this motherfucker. Right. And then Mixed Master Ice comes in. So I'm starting to feel a little strange, like in a way, because I don't know nobody in this motherfucker, but I'm seeing all the real ones, all the, all the fucking, you know, stars. Right. So I'm sitting there, I'm like, oh, this shit's crazy. Mixed Master Ice comes. Yo, Smooth! Like, so he come in, he's giving all of them pounds, and he look at me, Smooth! I'm like, yo, what's up, man? I give him a pound. He says, so you made it. Good, good, good. Did you rhyme for Bob? Like, that's so as He says, did you rhyme for Bob? Like, Agby and him looking. Like, they just look. And he's like, I was like, nah, I ain't rhyme for him yet. He was like, no, fuck that. Rhyme for him. Yo, Bob, I told you he was dope to spit, Smooth. I stopped. Wildin'. Now I'm rhyming for my life. I'm I'm rhyming for my supper. Over a beat or just no, no acapella. Okay. <laughs> now you gotta have a rhythm. Your shit better be tight if you spitting acapella to legends. Right. And they were young legends. I start going. Mm, first three rhymes, they were just sitting there like, all right, cool. So I'm I'm like, all right. Oh, and in my stash, y'all motherfuckers can't believe I, I ain't come with you. So you're doing rhymes. like full verses that you've already written? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I used to write every day. Right. I used to write every day. And I start spitting. Boom, boom, boom. All right. They was like, they was like, all right, cool. Then I went ham. After that third rhyme, I saw LL start smiling. They start paying attention like, wait a minute. This motherfucker's serious. I start going, 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 going. Red alert smiling. Eric B starts smiling. And this was right before Check Out My Melody came out. So Eric, after I finished round, he was like, yo, you remind me of this dude I 
um, just rock with my new partner, man, from from Strong Island. You was talking that Peace Guard shit. I was like, oh, word, right? He was talking about Rock Hill. Mm-hmm. That's another story. So I was like, I was like, oh, word, that's what's up. <laughs> I'll give a pal. So I'm, man, I hit him with about 100 bars. <laughs> Bob pulled me to the side. He seen me start talking to LL. He's like, no, fuck that. Y'all motherfuckers ain't getting this motherfucker. So he grabbed me. He pulled me to the side. He said, yo, listen, you got a producer? <laughs> Back then, I didn't even know what a fucking producer did. Right. I was like, nah, I don't have a producer. He's like, I'm going to be your producer. I was like, word? So he was like, yeah, man, I got you. No, fuck that smooth. Yo, you can chill, man. And he's telling me to just chill. I was like, well, I got to go work tomorrow. I said, but I'll come back and fuck with you tomorrow. He was like, all right, bet. He said, as a matter of fact, tomorrow we going in the studio. I said, word? I said, what time y'all session? He said, two o'clock. I said, no, fuck it. I'm going to come to the studio. So I said, I'm going to go get some rest. I said, I'm coming to the studio. I called my man the next morning. Yo, Mike. It's two to two o'clock studio session. He said, "Go." I get to the studio now. At that time, Doctor Ice of UTFO was really supposed to be pinning all of Bobby's shit as far as rhymes. Oh, really? So he had wrote a song. The title song was called "King of Stage." That was the name of Bobby's album, "The King of Stage." So he wrote half of the rhyme, and that day he did not make it. Didn't make it. Uh-huh. So I see at this point, Bobby is distraught. He on the side like, "Man, what the fuck, man?" Yo, what do you mean? He's going back and forth with um, Mixmaster Ice. So I was like, yo, what's up, man? You good? He was like, yeah, man, Dr. Ice was supposed to finish this song and write this rhyme for me, man, but he's not going to show up. And boom, boom, boom. I was like, all right, I'll write your shit for you. And he was like, what? You will? I said, yeah, just tell me what you want to say. He said, yeah, play it. So he played the first verse. I listened to what Doc Ice penned. And I said, all right, now tell me what you want to say. He started telling me, yo, I want to say this. I want to say it. Got it. Boop. Went in there, and back then, Bobby, he was, uh, and then I wrote, I wrote the rap on, uh, girl. I mean, I went on this from that day, mm-hmm. but the point where I went on to write his rhymes. But the funny part, I have to make this note, was that back then, I mean, LL has sparked everybody, so a lot of people was influenced by LL. <clears throat> his energy, hey yo, you know, his shit rock the bells, you know, he was like. So when you when you hear. The um, when you hear Bobby's early rhymes, like the rhyme on Girl Next Door, he's rhyming it really with the energy of LL, but it's the smoothness of Smooth B. Really? So people, and you know what I'm saying? And I'm glad he didn't realize how to be smooth, I'd have been fucked. Right. But the thing was, the song, the rhyme that I wrote for The Girl Next Door was, what could she have in store? The girl next door, her very essence, her presence, I do adore. And being this close is driving me wild. I love her personality, your style, your smile. Boom. He goes, what can she have in store? The girl next door? Like, he's, he's hitting it. And I'm like, hey, fuck it. Make it your own. You know right. what I'm saying? But but in hindsight, I'm glad he didn't get that smooth shit But down. did it occur to you at all that there was, was there anything out of the ordinary in your mind at that point about writing the lyrics for somebody, even if they were like an R&B star? Like, did he seem like an exception to the rule that every rapper has to write their own stuff? Or is, because people always now like to make it like, oh, hip hop used to all be about writing your own stuff. And nowadays people don't give a fuck. Right. What, was it really as strict as people now kind of, because sometimes people like to like romanticize history and make right. shit seem a little different. All right. Here's the fucking thing, Adam. There were rules set in place back in the days. Mm-hmm. That's the throwback, throwback shit. All them first motherfuckers that never got their dues. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Motherfucker, people would fight over names. Your name sound too close to mine. Right. Prove that you the motherfucker. <laughs> it's a duel, nigga. Like, you could, <laughs> yeah. Motherfuckers, look. 
I'm a rhyme, you a rhyme, and if somebody say your fucking rap was better than mine, we gotta fight. Right. From the break dancers, all the motherfuckers, crazy legs, and all I'm gonna tell you stupid, they was tough. The motherfuckers would come to different crews and neighborhoods, break dance, and have to fight their way out. Right. That's what it was. So it was a pressure on authenticity. Like, if you came into a spot, like I said, they'd embrace you if you just were yourself. But if you came in there trying to rhyme like somebody else, it was like motherfuckers like, I paid dues, man, mm. to earn this. How dare you come in this motherfucker and try to, you know what I'm saying? Dishonor me, you know? So anyway, in the beginning, yes, it was about writing your own lyrics. Boom. But then as time evolved, I was seeing it from a perspective of, I realized, I came to realize, because remember, I grew up in the South Bronx, so I, I saw Melly Melanin on my block. Like, mm. it was crazy. I saw them in the parks. So I'm just watching the evolution of this shit. I'm watching them go, they had a television show called Midday Live. I remember when they first came on there. And it's just crazy because they were all, they always came back to the hood. Mm -hmm. That's what you, that's the one thing that stood out to me about Melly Mel and Furious Five and Grandmaster Kaz and those guys. Because they would go do some amazing shit. They'd be in the movie Wild Style. And then you see them on Fordham Road walking mm -hmm. around, you know, dope shit. Anyway, so... Yes, it was emphasis. Then the industry said, this shit ain't really a true art form. It'll never last, right? And then they got past that. So now I'm trying to figure out how to get into this fucking complex game. Right. So I see it as an open door. I mean, God gave me vision. I'm a visionary. Like, I'm, I'm seeing how this shit could connect mm -hmm. straight up. I wasn't haphazard. I was like, oh, this shit could be big. He's a singer. New Edition is like the new... Jackson 5. Mm -hmm. He's leaving. But it's something about this motherfucker. When I saw that he loved hip-hop, and I seen that he was a real one, I said, nah, fuck that. I believe in you, dude. Everybody was like, you can't make it without a new edition. I was like, that's not so. What else you want to say? Mm -hmm. And I was, like, I was like, this shit is going to work. I was like, if this record company lets him come out singing and rapping... Woo! Mm -hmm. And he took him out, he want to be my producer? Let's go! And that's how it went. And that was the motivation behind it. It's pretty crazy how controversial the notion of a rapper singing would be at that time because you, you could fast forward like a, an additional decade or two and like the Ja Rule 50 Cent beef was like largely 50 calling him out for singing even though 50 was singing over <laughs> shit. And now when you look at it, like a huge percentage of the top up and coming rappers are, are blatantly not even trying to be lyrical at all. They're just trying to get by on different melodies and when you hear these young kids talk about what rappers they like, they don't say so-and-so got bars they say so-and-so oh he got the best melodies he got the best songs it's just so catchy yada 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 you know now that's a hundred percent normal right that's what i'm talking about mm. i said shit it ain't no fun if i don't get none mm. well i guess that's why they call it the blue i said <laughs> fuck that right. i'm still coming with shit yeah. you know what i'm saying but that my, my introduction to this game was through bobby fucking around with him boom by the time the don't don't be cruel album gumby haircut it's my fucking idea. Were you getting paid properly as you should have been for writing on that shit? Hell no. <laughs> Hell no. And look, and this was the dope shit. I knew it. Right. See, look, you, you got to look at an open door as an open door. Way in the game is the way in the game. Way huh? in the fucking mm -hmm. game is the fucking game. <laughs> but the deep part about it was I was a young cat. I, you know, I tried to pride myself on using some form of wisdom. I knew. I said, no, 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 no. I learned some shit. Sometimes you can fucking know too much. Mm. So I was like, I learned some shit. I had learned. Dude, when I started writing for Bobby, 
I was already on ASCAP. I was an ASCAP member. Mm. I don't even give a fuck. Let's go through the door. This is what we agreed upon. Let's take this paper. Boom, boom, boom. Now, the one thing I did say to him, I said, yo, dude, I need writer's credit. That's what I need. You know what I'm saying? Because back then, you know, you got to be honest. Not particularly to him, per se, but the industry really didn't. I thought the best, the way to be best effective is to dot your I's and cross your T's. Right. Learn about the game you're getting into. Then you could be more proficient. 100%. That's, that was all, that's what I thought. So I was always doing my fucking homework. But when I got up in there and I was like, oh yeah, so this is the boo ba 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 boo ba I was met with, who the fuck do you think you are? Mm. And how do you know that? He's going to be a fucking problem. <laughs> he came up in here and asked us about non-recoupable funds and what's recoupable. Mm. How the fuck does he know that? He's going to be a problem. Mm. He wants all his fucking money? He fucked around and took a half million dollar loss with sleeping bag when they filed bankruptcy. But the only thing that still saved them was a bankruptcy clause that they agreed to, which enabled him after they went bankrupt to retain 100% of his publishing. So by the time we went to Def Jam, we already had 100% of our publishing. Mm. I thought that was a triumph. I just took a half million dollar loss, ladies and gentlemen. I got an album out and a newborn and no fucking money. Mm. But God is real. So now I just signed with sleeping. I mean, I signed with Def Jam. Let's go. But this is all like years after the, the Bobby Brown situation. Yeah. But you're saying that you went in and kind of made a stink about wanting to get your fair dues for the songs and Bobby and his team were the ones who didn't appreciate oh, it. Oh, no, no, no. No, 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 no. I'm oh, sorry. Okay. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I got so much information. I'm oh. sorry. No, 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 no. Me and Bobby, our relationship was easy peasy. Oh, okay. I didn't care about none of that shit. I was just like, I want to help you. Mm. And he was embracing that. So it was kind of like a barter system. You know what I'm saying? What we agreed upon, and this is crazy. I knew it though. I said, listen, this is what I'm going to do for you. Because remember, he told me he was going to be my producer. I said, man, I'll write every rhyme you come up with. Give me $500. Right. Give a fuck. Give me $500 in my writer's credit. I said, okay, bet. Boom, here. He was giving me $500. $500. Now I'm like $2,500, $3,000 in. I'm cool. I'm cool with that. Now he takes me out to California. I'm riding around this bitch. I'm hanging out with the Jacksons. All types of shit. This is a dream, dog. Right. This is a dream for me. I'm meeting all types of personalities, all types of crazy shit. I'm like, yo, this shit is fun. And he's my man. I'm going on the road with him being introduced to groupies and shit. I'm like, what the fuck is this? Right. What? You know? And so it was all of those things. And then I'm also paying attention. I'm soaking this shit up like a sponge. So I'm watching how he deals with adversity. Mm. And I'm learning. I'm like, damn. Really? And then he's telling me stories and all that shit. So that shit was priceless. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Now, the thing was, you got to imagine now, in hindsight, like, when you move forward and you get into the industry, like, before you enter the industry, you're just watching. And so certain things appear to be one way or not another. Mm -hmm. But there has to be a trust, a value of trust between your inner circle. Dig what I'm saying? Because shit gets crazy. So me and Bobby had that. We had a brotherhood. So the thing was, when he told me, oh, no, this shit's kind of crazy. Even if it didn't make, it was loopy, I'd be like, okay, well, fuck it. There's some shit I don't know about. You telling me this shit like this. So he would probably, he'd say shit to me. He'd try to give me some hints. I'd be like, like he'd give me the money, and then he'd be like, yo, man, so I'm getting ready to come out, man. I went back to my executive producers and everything, and I was talking to them, and they were saying, you got to really talk to the 
other artists. Like, he was just telling me the rigmarole, basically trying to prepare me not to get writer's credit on mm. the motherfucker. And I was like, all right, fuck it, I don't care. What are we going to do? So time goes on. Now, I went on three tours with him. So now, when the don't be cruel, that got him out of here. I was with him when he actually recorded the song, My Prerogative. Mm. In Teddy Riley's house, in Teddy Riley's house, in St. Nick Projects in Harlem. On the first floor, that's how Teddy used to rock. Ooh. Shit was insane. That's crazy. Man, Aaron Hall wrote it. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Shit was amazing. It was amazing. I watched it. I watched it come from scratch. Uh-huh. Woo! Prerogative. And then um, I added my little two cents on the bridge. So when the song goes, don't get me wrong, I'm really not souped. Ego trips is not my thing. That was that was my penmanship. Wow. But to watch, to see Teddy. Now, me and Teddy, you know the barber. A barber brings a lot of fucking people together. Shout out to this guy, Denny Moe. And he's like bro- Greg's brother. And that, and so Greg introduced me to Denny Moe. All right, let me, I, I move so fast. <laughs> let me run back, let me run back, let me run back. All right. I'm on the road with Bobby. Uh-huh. <laughs> we running around. Don't be cruel, era starts. Boom. He's blowing up. Now, one of the times, you know, you, you, we go out for a few weeks and then you give, get like a week off. So one, in one of the interims, I come back to New York. And when I come back, um, like when I was on the road with him, I met this guy named Lance Roman. So basically what I'm leading up to is how I met Greg. Well, that's cool. We going into that journey yet? Sure. Okay, great. So while we're on the road, I'm noticing Bobby is serious. We're making a few demos here and there, and he wants to do it, but he wants me to have a band behind me because that's what he knows. Mm. And I'm going to get the dope band, you know, because he had a band. He was like, they can play around you. I'll get these drummers, and then I'll get these electric guitar. Any record you want, or if you want to do something that's like a like an old song, they can replay it. At that time, sampling was the shit. Sampling mm. was coming in. Everybody was sampling James Brown, all of that shit. And nobody Everybody, was paying for it? Say it again? Was anybody paying for it? Oh, uh, where? At uh, that point, was you having to pay the artist that you were sampling? Oh, yeah. yeah like, right. like, you know, because uh, since it was all new, people didn't even know. People didn't even know that that could be a problem. Right. They just thought, I'm going to take this music because I like it. And when I fucking rap over it, maybe the James Brown will like it. Yeah. Maybe one day we'll do a show together. Like, motherfuckers <laughs> is just dreaming. Right. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeesh. Till James starts suing niggas. Mm. Woo! So everybody, like, why? No, he took that shit, nigga. That ain't, whoa, that ain't cool. So I was like, oh, shit. So I was like, back then I said, listen, man, there's a New York sound happening. And I have to get back to New York. Cause I feel like I'm missing out. I'm missing out on some Renaissance shit going mm. on here, man. My spidey senses tell me this. I'm loving this road shit. I'm loving it all. I gotta get back to the hood, man. Mm. Fly in, so we got two weeks off, and it was so it'd be so crazy. Like I would come off the road with Bobby, and as soon as I come back home, it'd be some new shit happening. Yo, smooth, go. Yo, come to this club. So I'm going to different clubs. I'm going up in the Latin quarters. I'm seeing shit happen. I'm like. Oh, yeah, I got to be here. I got to be here. I'm missing something, man. Mm. Imagine. I leave and go on the road with Bobby. I met Eric B. Eric always had some jewels on. 
Check out my melody comes out. Six months go by, I'm on the road. Nana, I actually lived out here for two years with Bobby. It's good. When I get back a year later, Eric B is driving around in Benzes and big ass chains and shit. Right. I'm like, yo, E, because we used to talk all the time. I'm like, yo, E, you fucking did it. Oh, yeah, smooth shit. Paying in full, baby. Where you at? I'm come get you. I'm like, oh, shit. He was like, you still doing it? Boom, boom, you still around? What Bobby going to do? He going to put you out? Niggas eating. Like, everybody out right now. What you doing? And I was uh -huh. like, you're right, you're right. Now I got to come back to New York. So long story short. Had you kind of forgotten about doing your own solo music and you were just happy to be writing for him at that point? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> it was still in your head. No. Yeah. <laughs> that shit was in the back of my cranium. Right. I was like, no, I got to come out. Mm. That was my, I'm going to write for you, man. And if we do this shit right, we could write forever. I don't give a fuck. That's what I do. But I got to come out. Right. Mm -mm. So long story short, I jumped up. When I came back to New York, I flew in the um, LaGuardia Airport with this guy named Lance Romance. And the whole time we was on the road, I thought Lance was from Texas. Because we only talked about Texas. Mm. So we land. And it hits me. I'm like, yo, yo, what's up, Lance? Where you going? He said, I'm going home. He said, I got a rental car. He was like, he was our age, but he had rental cars and credit cards and shit. I was, what the fuck? And only thing we knew was that his parents wrote for the soap operas. He's like, my mom, you know, my dad writes storyboards for uh, uh, all my children. And he would just tell us names of soap operas. All I know is this motherfucker had credit cards and all this shit. He was doing uh -huh. big boy shit. So we jump in the rental car and he takes me uptown and he goes, yo, I was listening to what you were saying when Bobby was talking about the, the band behind you. And he said, um, he said, nah, you want your shit to be like what motherfuckers is doing. I said, yeah. And they wasn't calling this sampling. Like, I didn't know it as sampling, that term. And he said, and he told me, he said, that's called sampling. You take a sample of the record. I said, yeah. He said, yeah. He said, I know somebody that can do that shit. So I said, yeah. And he was talking about Greg. He was talking about Greg. I said, I want you to meet him. I want this young boy, man. He's younger. Because Greg is a few years younger than me. He said, this kid, man, but he make dope beats. He's good. I said, yeah. He said, yeah. So at that time, Greg was in a group. It was him and this dude named June Love. And so when we all met up, it was me, Lance, June, Love, and Greg. Now at that time, Greg used to just do the human beatbox and make beats. So I meet June Love. June Love was a very interesting guy, man. Fly, man, you know. And as time went on, I came to realize that June Love used to be in a group with Slick Rick and him. He was an original member of the Kango crew before Slick Rick and Dougie Fresh met. Then I also learned that June Love was the one that introduced uh, Slick, uh, Slick Rick to Dougie. Mm -hmm. You know, just different little key points. But the deepest part about it was uh, we, we kicked it. We hung out. We got into a rhyme cypher, man. The shit was beautiful, man. And I was like, yo, yo, you dope. Because at that time, I was always fond of mixing, singing, and rapping. I had, oh, I had a lot of different routines. And June Love had some routines, too. So he's singing shit. I'm like, that's fly. And we drinking, and we blowing cheese, and we rocking. It was beautiful. And then a couple of days later, I went back out on the road. And I was out on the road for about a month. And within that time period, June Love got murdered. Oh, yeah, right. So when I came back to New York, I found, about, found out about all of that. And I went to see Greg. And, you know, Greg was just distraught. You know what I'm saying? And you got to keep in mind, he had Nintendo on rhyming. So he was like, the mouthpiece, the dude that was the rapper is gone. And boom, boom. And I said, well, the last note that we left on was, I said, one day we're going to do a record together. That's the last thing I told you. And I said, one day we're going to do a record together, man. And he was like, all right, bet, bet. And, um. I just love that dude. He's like, yeah. Like he had a, 
yeah, I bet. I like your style. Like he had that, he had that type of, oh, he would talk like, yeah. That was like, like a whole way people talked at that time. This dude was too fucking cool, man. He was too cool. So uh, <laughs> long story short, I says to Greg, I said, so let me ask you, um, what was the last song you worked on? He said a song called Skill Trade. I said, how's it go? And he's like, together we're cooling, the mic we're ruling, suckers we're schooling. Right? And I was like, it was called Skill Trade. Skill Trade, we know what we doing. I said, that's dope. I said, all right, I like that. I like that. I said, so this is what we're going to do. I said, me and you going to put the shit out. Uh -huh. We're going to do Skill Trade. I said, Y'all, you got any of them? He said, well, the, one, the joint we was going to put out was Skill Trade and Dope on the Rope. I said, how'd that go? Look, there, you can scope because nice and smooth is like dope. Well, then it became nice and smooth is like dope on the rope. So, so because we revamped it. So I said, I said, Dope on the Rope. I said, you are the only one that knows June's rhymes. Uh -huh. I said, so this is what we're going to do. I said, you're going to say it. I said, because who else? You got to keep his style alive. I said, you're going to say the rhymes that he would have said on those songs. I'm going to fill in the blanks. Mm. I said, and then we'll put it out. And whatever we make from it, or if we get a single deal from a label, whatever, we kick some proceeds to his um, family, and we keep it moving. I was like, because at that time, I just I had been in groups already. So I was, I was group fed. I was like, I don't want to be in another group. <laughs> and so we did we did skill trade. We did dope on the rope. And then as time goes on, you know what I'm saying, the rest is history. The shit picked up and people started to fuck with us. And and then we just started, you know, we started gravitating like but, that. But so you felt like you were on a fucking mission after he died? Like like somehow that put you in a headspace where you were just like 100% certain that this was the move? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm. And then when I started seeing different shit happening, it kind of took over because I was like, Originally, like before I even jumped into that, it, it was like as if the situation with June Love touched a certain part of my heart. Mm. Like it touched me in a different way. And it was like, nah, B, like sharing or at least doing that on your word at that moment in time, based upon the last thing you told that man is very important. It's like I couldn't get around it. Mm. It was like, do this first. And so that's what I did. And then as shit started happening, I didn't even really look at it as me giving up a solo career. Mm. Like I just looked at it as a mission. Cause then I started to get to know Greg. I was like, come on, let's go. And he would make the beats and I'm like, all right, I got this. And I would just write different ill routines. And it, it just was like a, it was a beautiful thing, man. The creative aspect of it was amazing. Is there any part of you that resents the group thing just because it, it, it means that there's less emphasis put on your name itself. Like, there's an extent to which, you know, a lot of rappers, like, we know who they are just because they had one big hit, right. and that's the, their name was associated with that. And with the group thing, it's like you kind of, you lose some of that familiarity that you're building. Like, is there, was there ever a part of that that stood out to you? No, you know, it was fun. I'm a, that's a good question. The thing is, <clears throat> me, I'm, I guess at core, I'm a team player. Mm. So once I got in, once I really got invested, mind, body, spirit, into the nice and smooth thing, I saw it as a vision, a brand. So I was like, yeah, come on, we won. I just saw it as we were one. Mm. Even though we were totally different, me and Greg Nice are polar opposites, man. We're totally different, lifestyle, everything. But when we come together, the one thing that we had in common at that time was that we loved hip hop. Mm. So I saw us as one, I really didn't care. As time went on, it got interesting because my partner would do a lot of different projects. He'd do, you know, Greg be all over the place. And I'm like, good, as long as you're happy. Like, I don't, 
I'm a different, I'm a different dude, man. I just be like, what? I right, you did your shit? Live. And I do what I do. And but people will come up to me, like, saying sh crazy shit how people it just make you go, whoa, wow, that's how you perceive it? Like people will come up to me like, whoa, so Greg Nice put you on. Like they would say like crazy shit. I was like, huh? What do you mean? Like, nah, I said, nah, we a team. And I just leave it at that. You know right. what I'm saying? I, I never, but you know, as time went on, you know, that's my brother. I ain't got nothing bad to say about Greg, but mm -hmm. that shit started getting to him. And he started bugging out. I was like, what's wrong with you, bro? Like, you upset with motherfuckers? Like, he would just get mad. I don't but it seemed like the higher we was getting, he'd get mad. Really? And I was like, yo, what's the matter, dude? Like, who hurts you, nigga? Like, <laughs> I mean, like, what the fuck? Like, out of nowhere, like, you have these spirit. I was like, yo, pop. Okay. All right, just figure it out. I'll be over here. Let's make this next record. Right. You know what I'm saying? But it, it just got interested. After did you guys formally break up at a certain point? When did that happen? I mean, it was kind of like a, we definitely took a hiatus. Uh -huh. And that was after, actually, after the third album was a little break. Okay. I, I needed that shit. Because I had seen so much at that time. And I was like, nah, man, let me go over here, man. Because it's like, I think that everybody has a little bit of warrior inside of them. Uh -huh. It just has to be tapped. And for me, I got, I, it's, I'm a smooth dude, but when I get on my shit, I'm on my shit. So I was like, no, I cannot, you know, not with my loved ones. Like loved ones, damn, Adam, loved ones could get away with all types of shit. And some of them know it. Mm. And I'd be like, I fucking love you, man. Nobody could have just got and you know it. What make you think I won't slap you because you my fucking brother or my niece? Man, I'm going over here. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And so that, you know, after the third hour, my brother started pushing me, man. And I used to just be like, Greg, man, what are you talking about? Like, I, motherfucker, I got love for you, man. I'm the only one in your corner. I, I, it was like a trust thing. Like, he didn't trust nobody. Uh -huh. And he started talking crazy. He just, and I said, all right, fuck this. Before we get to a place where we're not friends, you know what I'm saying? If you make me touch your jaw, man, we, we might, you might not get over it. It, it, it. We might not be friends. Uh -huh. I said, nah, I can't. My nigga's bugging out. And I, after the third album, I spaced. Mm. A few years went by, and then we ended up doing the uh, Blazing Hot album. Uh -huh. Yeah, and that joint was on Warner Brothers and shit. And then after that, I just was like, ah, it ain't, it ain't the same, you know. Like, you know, we could do we could do spot dates, we could do shows right. together. Like, we civil. That's my brother. Do you do we, that? Do you show up and yeah. do the like oh. '90s hip hop festival oh, yeah, thing? Yeah, yeah. It's got to oh, be some man. money to be made what? there, right? Yeah. yeah, get a get a get a little bag. You know what I'm saying? But you gotta understand, like, it's the same thing when you see it from the beginning, right? And you start to make that the partnership is a very interesting thing. Mm. You know, it's like because at the end of the day. When you make a name and you become a brand, if your partner doesn't want to do something at a certain time, you can't do it. Right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Because y'all did it together. Mm. <laughs> and it's a shame because you want to, like, there's such an incentive to stay on the same page, but you have to be on the same page. Like, you both have to be motivated in the same way. And at a certain point, it's just so odd to see those uh, those relationships sort of diverge. But it's also it's also weird that because it always happens. Like for me, 
you know, uh, G Unit and Dipset were like my favorite groups when I was like 18, 19, 20. Yeah. And I've seen them all do the same thing where they're like, they're real friends. They're really around each other all the time. Then they get into some like emotional, dramatic shit that they can't get past. So the group breaks up and then they, you have four or five years, whatever. And then boom, they're back doing festival dates and doing right. songs here and there. But in that in between time, you sort of like lose something because the audience sort of realizes that this isn't necessarily as organic as it was right. at first. Yeah. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? And so, I don't know. And, and it was weird because, I mean, for a long time, I think particularly with Nice and Smooth, like I said, we set the bar high for motherfuckers that knew who we were and to come in with that singing, rapping shit when nobody was doing it. The game kind of like respected our space in a way because they never fucking understood us from the beginning. <laughs> it was no prototype for the shit we was doing. You know what I'm saying? Really? Mm. So I was like, where are these motherfuckers? They so ill. And I think that alone gave us a little, you know, bridge so that people didn't say, well, then they're not who they're cracked up to be. You know, that we didn't get shitted on like mm. that. Oh shit, all this time I have my headphones on, it don't matter. Oh, it don't matter. Fuck, I'll put them on now. <laughs> Fuck it. I like these headphones. Fuck it. Let's go. When did when did Whitney Houston come around? How'd you meet her? And, oh, and what man. was that like to see her early in her career? Wow, man. You know, amazing. All right. Shout out to Big Sis, man. Peace and blessings be upon her soul, yeah, man. Rest in peace. Oh, man. I always called her Big Sis, you know. And um, after I started working with Bobby, you know, then then I formed, you know, nice and smooth and everything. And we started rocking. And you were always on good terms with Bobby along the way? Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. That's my boy, man. You know, I, I don't like. I try not to burn bridges, but if a motherfucker push me, I blow the fucking bridge up. Right. You know what I'm saying? But anybody that we can be civil, whatever the case was, I'll be like, all right, are you good? All right, let me go over here, man. Because I, I just like for people to be who they are. Mm. I'll be like, be yourself, man. Be, you know, whatever. So anyway. All right. So now, Bobby. Ironically, my brother, we used to rock. He called me up. He came to New York. And he, was, and he would always come to New York and he'd call me and he'd say, I'm staying at the such and such hotel. And I said, all right, bet I'll be down there. So now, a Nice and Smooth was already established, you know, and it was always love. And he was like, you fucking did it, Smooth. And he was like, I'm proud of you, man. And I was like, no doubt, my dude, you know how we do. And so time would go on, we'd hang out, whatever. So one day, he called me up, he said, I'm, I'm staying at this hotel with some swanky shit. I goes down to the hotel and when I got there, he was standing in front of the hotel and he had some flash, you know, he had some linen outfit, crazy uh, fucking, they were like emerald green turtle skin boots. Them shits was crazy, like some extra pimp shit. Right. And he had the crazy boots on, I was like, whoa, nigga. He had the L brim on, he was fly. I said, what's up, baby? I give him a pound. And he was like, yo, man, I was waiting for you smooth. He said, he said, um, he said, I got to break out. And, and I was like, oh, word? He said, yeah. He said, I'm getting ready to go on a date with Whitney Houston. And I was like, what? And, and she, I said, she was a household name at this point? Like, oh, like, hell, okay. she was fucking, woo, she was Whitney. <laughs> I'm your baby tonight. She, mm. done, she was multi-platinum. Whatever you want. Yeah, she was Whitney. Right. Motherfucking Whitney. So she was multi-platinum by that time. And this was before, you know, and I. That that was, that that was the end, right? That was the fucking thirty million 
yeah. sold. Like she was really out of here at that Ooh, point. Jesus. Right. So he goes, uh, I'm on my way. Um, I'm a, I have a date with Whitney Houston. So I see the limousine and shit. I was like, what? He said, damn, man. He said, you good? Whatever. I said, yeah. So he, so he reached in his pocket and he gave me $500. Just like, here, man. You know, I, I know I told you to come down here, man, but fuck it. Yeah. And he just gave me 500 So I was like, well, thanks, nigga. So I put in my pocket. He breaks out. Uh-huh. I said, good luck, nigga. So he jumps in the car. And he goes to see Whitney. So about maybe two, three days go by. He called me up. And he was like, yo, smooth. I was like, yo, what's up, nigga? He's like, I'm still here. I was like, where? I'm at Whitney's house. <laughs> I was like, for real? He's like, yeah, man. She's going to be my girl. <laughs> She's going to be my girl. Wow. I was like, word. They just hit it off that good. Yeah. From day one. Yeah, man. Wow. Uh, and then when I finally met her, man, she was too motherfucking cool for school, bro. Really? I mean, I'm, so Bobby, they had a $5 million, um, they had a guest house on the, on the premises. And uh, they had a $5 million studio in there, a $5 million console. And it was the first time I was ever in the studio with the flying faders, with the flaters. Flate, I mean, they move on their own? Move on their own and shit. Mix, mix the shit by itself. So he like, yo, come, come on out. So I'm like, where, where you at? And he tells me and all of this and give me instructions and shit. And I drive out there. Way out of fucking Jersey, I get there. Boom, we chilling. We start to record. And like Bobby, he's always been like a, if I could explain, like a bitch magnet. Mm. Like whenever me and him get together, it could be an empty house. We could be in an after hour. We could be in a little small ass bar on some non. Some girls will show up. They'll fucking show up. <laughs> Must be nice. It's a bug out, but it's crazy. You know, like we OGs now. Like I'm like, man, listen, I'm on another page. I get around him. Mr. Bitches comes out. Mm. It's just like they start coming. Like, hey, where this bitch came from? Right. right. So here's the case. We in the studio. We chilling. And then different people was coming over, different his friends, and, and the next thing you know, and, and some of the dancers, and just different people showing up. And before you know it, it was like a fucking party. Mm. And it was like 10 broads in there. Right. Now, they wasn't taking their clothes off or nothing. They was respectful and shit, but they were just, you know, they had that, that vibe was there. Right. Jump off vibe was there. And this was the first time I really, really got to know Whitney. So out of nowhere, the music is blasting and we just chilling. We listen to music and we vibing. And then the next thing you know, she just opened the door. She came in there and she had on a um, she had on a tracksuit. No, matter of fact, she had on a track jacket, some jeans, and some pumas. Cause I never forget looking down and seeing her with the blue puma clods on it. She was like, oh shit. And she had a New York Yankee fitted on mm-hmm. with like a like a rain jacket. And she just opened the door to the studio. So I was just sitting there. And, but I felt this energy. I'm just chilling. And I, I look up and I see her come through the door. She got shades on. But it was like, so she had a doobie and she had a baby. So it like, I, I didn't expect it to be Whitney. You know what I'm saying? So I just looked and I was like, is that? Nah, that ain't Whitney. You know? And then she just walked over and she walked over to Bobby. And when she hugged him, I looked and I said, oh shit, Whitney. So I was sitting there. She talked to him, whispered some shit in his ear. Went over to the console, turned the motherfucking music down, turned around and said, All y'all bitches get the fuck out of here. She said it. <laughs> she delivered the message herself. 
Holy she shit. She was a G, nigga. Wow. She was a G. She said, all y'all bitches get the fuck out of here. Do you think that was the first time she had to tell him, like, stop bringing random girls around? I have no fucking idea. I have no idea. I'm assuming they had to have that conversation a few times over the I, years. Yeah. <laughs> she came through thug passion and said, all y'all bitches get the fuck out. Wow. Everybody was oh, shit. Everybody started picking their shit up. I said, well, fuck it. It was fun while it lasted, you know. Yeah. I started picking my shit up. I had my knapsack because I had beats and I had, you know, we're going to create. Mm -hmm. So I had my knapsack and I picked my knapsack up. And she said, no, you ain't got to go nowhere smooth. Mm. That's our first, that was our first. We said, no, nah, nah, not you, baby. You, you're my brother. Go ahead. Just chill. I go, and I had my little cousin G-Soul with me. Shout out to G-Soul. And so we just sat back down. And Bob was like, oh, I'll be back. Tripping. <laughs> He's like, she tripping. And I was like, hey, nigga. And then after that, I mean, oh my God. She used to throw, oh, they used to throw the craziest fun parties. Like, I, for years, I would go every 4th of July and bring my kids, you know what I'm saying? And we go and they have a dope cookout for the 4th of July, man, and hang out. And my kids used to be running with Bobby Chris, peace and blessings be upon her, you know? But those were amazing times, man. Mm. You know, to see people of such magnitude be so real, though. That the world, real on a level that the world wouldn't really even comprehend, man. Right. That's that's the shit. That was the part. That was my experiences with a lot of big name people. Mm. It seemed like the bigger the celebrity, the bigger the star, the realer they really were. Right. That shit was crazy. That's crazy. Yeah. Do you? Because looking back on that, a lot of people, the narrative that they tend to go with is that Bobby basically like introduced Whitney to partying and crazy shit and everything. Right, is that right. is that really how it played out from your perspective? Nah. She was with the shits before she met him? Oh, man, look, you know, listen, you got to understand something, man. Now I'm going to take you back. Fuck it. Look. Come so, with me, Adam. Journey. I'm going to take you to the journey, baby. Here's the fucking thing, baby. In the 70s, 80s, leading up to this whole shit, I got a chance to see the shit, and even through my brothers, because I'm the youngest of five. So my older brothers, man, I got a set of twins, Shaking Blue. They were like street these niggas legends, motherfuckers. Know, like Shake and Blue, your brother. Like to this day, I meet people. They go, Shake and Blue, are your brothers? I was like, Yeah. They were like, Oh shit, the motherfuckers was the real deal. I was like, Yeah, yeah. Mm. Bam. So I saw the shit go from era to mm. era. I saw when weed was the shit. Mm. Weed was the medicinal. Bob Marley shit going down. Right. You want to summon something? You know, weed was the go-to. Then I saw weed go out of style like the shit was corny. Like, you couldn't even bag a bitch in the 80s if you was smoking weed. That's hard to weed. imagine now. Yeah. Bitches look at you. You ain't got no weed. I mean, all you got is weed. That's for broke niggas. For, from my generation, I remember Dr. Dre dissing weed yeah. on, uh, I think, Doggy Style before The Chronic. Like, like he dissed weed at one point, but, right. and then, like, by the time The Chronic came out, he was, he was all about the weed. <laughs> right. Which is like, as a kid, I remember right. being like, did he really just say weed wasn't cool in this song? Because right. it didn't add up to me, but there was mm. that time period. Yeah, right? yeah. So it was that time period where Coke was it. Like, the slogan for fucking Coca-Cola. In fact, back, you take it way back, they used to put... Uh, a percentage of the cocoa leaf, which is the derivative for cocaine, in Coca-Cola, my nigga. Right. That's a fact. Facts. Yep. Okay. So, I've lived in my time to see shit go in and out of style. So, the point that I'm making is, I was a young, I was a teenager 
trying to get my, I just learned how to roll a joint right. and I'm trying to go hang out now. It's my hang time. And I'm trying to bag a pretty girl. So I'll come over and I tell her, yeah, I got some, I got a joint. You mm. want to smoke a joint? And the bitch like, you ain't got no blow? <laughs> and I'm like, what? What? You ain't got no blow? We just broke niggas. Oh, man. I ain't no broke bitch. How dare you? Whoa! Uh-huh. And walked out my fucking face. Uh-huh. I said, well, fuck you, bitch, more for me. I smoked my weed. Next thing you know, it kept happening. <laughs> so I went to my brother, Shake. Yo, Shake. Because see, the twins, like, <laughs> interesting. But one, they both were identical twins, but one was more like, taught me more of like knowledge of like life. Read the Bible, Quran, like just knowledge. Read good books. Other one was very intelligent, read good books, but he was more street. He taught me more hustle shit. So I had to go to him. Yo, I gotta get some coke. He was like, what the fuck are you talking about, man? <laughs> I said, no, 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 no. I've been going to the clubs, and these girls don't want to fuck with me, you know, unless I got some coke. So he bust out laughing. He said, all right, I get it, I get it. He said, now listen, man. So he started taking me through the whole shit. It didn't come without a lesson. So he started giving me all these jewels about it. Boom, 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 boom. You won't find yourself with this girl, man. You know, give a little and watch her fly. So I was like, what? Tried it a couple of times. I said, shit is a god, ah! <laughs> you know? And so I saw it go from, uh, I saw weed be the shit, then weed become taboo, then coke be the shit, then coke is taboo, to now the shit coming back again. Mm. It's a trip, you know, and, and you just watch how things change. So the point that I'm making is that before they even met, they lived in real environments. Mm. He was from Boston. He's from the hood. People know the end result. So they know uh, Whitney from the castle. But Whitney from Newark. She hood. They have a vision of her that they want to have in their mind where she was pristine going into the situation just because her, her voice was so beautiful. And she had so many classic songs and everything. Angelic. Yeah. But she wasn't new to the game. Yeah, she grew up around the same shit everybody she else grew up around. She knew that part. And that is the beautiful thing. That's like a, a rose growing in concrete. You know mm. what I'm saying? It's like, yo, she came and was able to do that. She kept her soul hunted. She had came back and, and, and opened a bank in Newark. Mm. People don't even know that she owned the bank. Do you think Bobby and Whitney like influenced each other to be worse with the drugs, though? Did they sort of like amplify it in their relationship? Well, you know, I, hey, look, man, I'm going to put to you like this because their relationship, like, like, they were both a brother and sister to me. So certain shit I really don't know. Mm. And, but what I do know is when you got a whole shitload of money and you can buy whatever the fuck you want, mm. woo <laughs> that's a whole nother level, baby. Right. You know what I'm saying? Who going to stop you? Mm. If y'all both the boss, it's like, you know, babe, today I want to do four lines. Right. And then... Your counterpart says, oh, motherfucker, you deserve 10 lines, nigga. You are getting high, motherfucker. Right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And you can pay for it. Right. Have it delivered. If you have infinite money, cocaine seems like a pretty, it seems like the kind of thing people end up getting into pretty Ooh. easily because it's one of the few things can really separate you from endless money. Like yeah. endless money can turn into a normal amount of money very quickly with yeah. coke. Oh, yes. You were never into it? Oh, man, listen, man. <laughs> Come on, man. Come on, Adam. Come on, Adam. I party. 
I've had some parties. Right. I've been, look, I was with the biggest motherfuckers. Right. <laughs> and, no, and that's another thing. No, no, fuck that. I'm going to give it up. I'm going to give it up today, Adam. That's it. The thing was, you know, coke and shit was like a rite of passage. Real motherfuckers know what I'm talking about. Mm. That's like if you're on top of your game and you let me into your realm, your sphere, and you feel me, you like, I kind of like fucking Smooth, man. Yeah. I think me and Smooth could do some business together. He's brilliant. Fuck that. We could put some shit together. Right. But I like to sniff this coat. So I have to see if he, how he feels about this. Mm. So he might pull that shit out on me. <clears throat> now, it's no judgment. Yeah. I'm like, my motherfucking man Adam did a lot. Yeah. Cool motherfucker. I don't care. What else you want to do, Adam? Let's rock. Yeah. No, that's but, real. But now if I be like, Oh, Adam. <laughs> you know, I, I you know, we, we, we were good I'm sorry, friends. I'm we just not going. that kind of guy. Yeah, I'm, like, I'm, not, I'm not into that. Because that's me now. Right. If somebody were like, oh, let's do some coke. And I, I used to be the kind of guy who would do a bunch of coke with somebody and have the crazy, bugged out, eyes wide open conversation. <laughs> oh, we're going to start a business. We're going to start Monday morning. We're getting the LLC. We're going <laughs> to. Right. Now I'm not. I'm not. Right. Now I'm the guy you bring out the car. <laughs> That's cool, man. You right. Have a good time. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And I hope a motherfucker can accept that from me. Right. You dig what I'm saying? I've evolved. Mm. But shit, when in Rome, do like the fucking Romans. Because mm. you know, back then, you couldn't even be accepted in certain rooms. Mm. If you ain't do a bump, right. motherfucker can't trust you. Who the fuck is this guy? Is he a fed? They're already high as hell. Mm. I don't know. I don't know. Did somebody plant him on me? <laughs> no, motherfucker. I just write rhymes, bitch. Right. You know what I'm saying? All right, give me a line, bitch. You know what I'm saying? Uh, am I cool? You right. know what I'm saying? And you felt like you was being interrogated, like, you know mm. what I'm saying? So I found myself in some fucking circles that <laughs> was not average, mm. you know? But the blessing of coming up how I was able to come up, man, and being taught by my brothers, I already was bump ready. Like, Man, I'm not going to put nobody business out there, man. But I was the nigga that could sit down with a nigga, do two, three, eight balls. This motherfucker's like this. Yo, smooth. I see bats. Ah! I'd be like, okay, now breathe. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Two or three, I'm, eight balls, for the record, is like an inhuman amount of cocaine for right, everybody at home. That part, I'd be like, I was the cocaine whisperer. Okay, wait. Just breathe. It's okay. Yeah. It's okay. What color was the bat? It was a blue bat, nigga! I sit down. First, we gotta drink this. You got any milk in this motherfucker? Like, I used to be breaking the shit for niggas. You got any milk? Wow. Yeah, I got fucking milk in the fridge! <gasps> I got milk in the fridge! Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Motherfuckers start drinking the milk. <sighs> what the fuck? What the fuck is this milk? I said, that milk will break all that shit up, bro. Give me some of that shit. God damn it, you done fucked up my eye. Now you got me bugging out. Give me some milk, too. Drink some milk with him. And then we walk off into the sunset. You know what I'm saying? Like, I always been, I just been blessed to do that. Uh -huh. Yeah. I talk many motherfuckers off the ledge. Special skill to have. Hey. <laughs> my skill set. That's yeah. incredible. Yeah. Man, I, I had more questions I wanted to ask you, but I mean, I guess we've been going for like an hour and a half now. So I feel like uh, for my next interview's sake, I kind of got to rein it in, which is oh, unfortunate. We got to do a round two. At Please, some point. come on, man. Bring I, me back. I still got some good questions and oh, shit. I got some shit for you, boy. Damn. I got some shit for you, Adam. You've lived quite the life. Woo! Tell me about it. What have you been working on lately, though? Give me an update. Oh, right. like, okay. Connect the dots between what we were just talking about and now. Mm -hmm. What What are the things that you're putting your, your effort into and if people want to check out? Oh, yeah. Okay, bet. 
Here we go. I got a new single right now. Oh, really? Oh, my God. It's called Before. Okay. And it's an interpolation. And I um I took uh the melody from um Sir Elton John. I guess that's why they call it the blues. Uh-huh. And I flipped it. So I'm like, well, I guess that's why they call it the blues. Time on my hands could be time spent with you. Laughing like children, boning like lovers, rolling like thunder under the covers. When I was young, I had to beat the clock before. I was the first one with Pumas on the block before. And I'm just, I take these motherfuckers on a journey with me. And then I tell them, I've been locked up before. I hit a nigga with a lock and a sock before. I let bitches in shock before. Hustle weed and coke on the block before. Got a penicillin shot before. I smoke a blunt with my nigga Tupac before. So I got Tupac stories for you too. Oh, I know. Yeah. Uh, that's on the and, list of questions of oh, things man. I haven't got a chance to ask you about. You yeah. know what I'm saying? And so that part, um, I did it in Spanish. The hook. I'm sending you everything. Uh-huh. Ya lo ves que tu me quedas necesito tu luz. Pasa los años, sigo contando. Hoy me levando y no estás a mi lado. Shit like that. Shit like that. Yeah. So so we killing them. Uh, the song went number one in the last... Two months, uh-huh. I've been number one three times on DRT, Digital Radio Tracking, Urban Influencer, and Radio Airplay Expert, man. That sounds three. incredible. I got to get on that. Man, I'm, I'm sending you everything. I'm going to send you the Spanish version. I shot the shit in New York, man. Ah, oh, and God is just real, man. It's like it was the motivation, inspiration. These last few years been tough. I lost family members. I lost one of my brothers, man. My brother Blue passed away. I lost two nephews, I, you know, and these were people over the years that were my pillar, mm. my pillars, man. And even on the way here, man, I got some bad news about my mother-in-law. So I'm like, oh, man, God, man, you know, but I'm telling you, man, so it ain't over. And so I've been sitting down, I've been busting my pen at him, you know, and I just didn't know when was going to be the right time. And I went, <clears throat> oh. So Sir Elton John gave us the, the clearance. Really? I told you about dotting your I's and crossing your T's. Uh-huh. It took three months. Three months, my people talking to his people, back and forth, back and forth. But I was convinced. I said, no, I'm not putting this motherfucker out. I've never been sued. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm not putting this song out without proper permission. And one of my driving forces was the fact that Prince, back in the days when we were doing Nice and Smooth, Prince gave us clearance uh-huh. at a time when he never cleared anybody's records. So I was like, nah, fuck that. And everybody around me, and I'm no, I'm used to this shit. When you're on some cutting edge shit, they were like, I don't know. I like the record smooth, but uh, I don't know if you're going to be able to get that Elton John shit clean. Right. And I was like, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. So long story short, my people was going back and forth for three months. One thing led to another. Then we got on a conference, did a little Zoom. I'm talking to these people. I cut in. I was like, fuck it. Let me, let me talk to these motherfuckers. You ain't telling them right. right. So I said, all right, let me ask you something. I said, is there any way possible that Sir Elton John could hear the record? Did you play it for him? They was like, no, we didn't play it for him. I said, could you play it for him? And they was like, yeah, yeah, we could do that. They played it for him, you know, then about maybe a week, maybe four, four to four or five days went by. Motherfuckers called us back and said, yeah, he loves it. Wow. He split it 50-50 with you. Crazy. Touche, my nigga. <laughs> 
Touche, my nigga. That's how you play the game. That part. That part. Yeah. God damn. Damn, Adam. Hey, thank you so much for your I'm time. I'm coming back, man. Definitely. We got to get that Please in. have me thank back. Thank you, for I, real. Of course. Unbelievable. Hey. My brother. That was, that was a blast. Yeah, man. Unbelievable. I got some shit for you. Appreciate you, man. Hey, I appreciate you. No Jumper, coolest podcast in the world. Check us out on YouTube, yeah. SoundCloud, yeah. iTunes. Like, comment, and subscribe. Yeah. Drop a comment down below. Right Nojumper.com if you want to support. Yeah. Appreciate y'all. Peace.